Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to another episode of the Creative Minority Podcast. Here we attempt to engage in many contemporary issues, issues pertinent towards the Muslim community. And it's very exciting that today we have Dr. Shadi Al-Masri from Safina Society joining us today. For those who don't know about Dr. Shadi Al-Masri, he is quite a prominent figure in the Muslim community online um, and has delivered a number of wonderful lectures and podcasts and so forth. And so I would highly recommend people check out his material. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Shadi. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So I just want to get straight into the topic. You know, one of the uh, there's there's a beautiful saying um, by Stephen Covey in his book on the seven successful uh, the habits of highly successful people, which is he talks about these two ideas of this community of concern and the community of influence, which is quite prominent. Where he says that the community everybody has their concern, um, and their concern is a very large circle. There's so many people that they're concerned about. Um, but he says the problem about focusing on that is that you don't have as much, you, you cannot exert as much influence into changing those circumstances. So for the Muslim community here, there's so many issues we have abroad um, and the list continues to grow with every passing year. And so Muslims are always trying to think of how they can address these issues. But what Stephen Covey is saying is that your circle of concern, I mean, your circle of influence is what you should focus on meaning yeah. your immediate communities, your immediate families, and so forth. And so what I wanted to tackle and discuss in today's podcast is just how do we navigate building our communities here as Muslims living in the West with all the struggles and issues that we are facing? And I know it's quite a broad topic, and there's uh, several uh, aspects that I would like to speak about, but I'd, I just want to uh, uh, allow you to begin, Dr. Shadi, with just anything on the topic of building communities and so forth. Bismillah. Okay. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. I, uh, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. First of all, I, I love that concept. And I always think that it's got to be 90 to 95% on your sphere of influence. And then the rest of the time, percentage on your sphere of concern or your community of concern. But increasingly, there's some fluidity here where um you can go uh to your, what's something that is influencing you far back uh far away from you seemingly far away from you it will enter into your sphere of influence someday so what's happening you know somewhere online it does have an impact because people in my community may be tapping into that right mm -hmm. so with the technology today, that line has become far more fluid. And mm -hmm. that's something that's really important to, to keep in mind is that uh, the internet has sort of flipped that concept that, hey, I'm here. Let's say Egypt is way over there. Canada's what's my business with Canada? Right. Well, that's all over with now, right? Mm -hmm. Because whatever's happening there will have an influence here. So you your sphere of influence or the sphere of concern aspect has now merged into your sphere of influence. So you do have to pay a lot more attention mm -hmm. and you have, to head on, you have to have your head on a swivel in a sense, paying attention to what's going on because that stuff will seep in eventually into your mm -hmm. community. If not massively, then at least it's going to seep into someone or a small cluster of people will care about it. And if you want to cater to that group of people, 
then you need to be aware of that. So uh, awareness to me is extremely important. You can't, that's a, uh, the concept of relevance. And uh, some while back in the Taoiseen, that word was really important. People always, kept always saying relevance. I think relevance, to it, in my perspective, the way I think about it is being aware of what your your audience or your listeners are thinking about and receiving in their in their ears and in their minds because then you can address you can bring what your your agenda and you can know what they're thinking about at the same time it's not that you're reacting to them because then you're not a leader right you're bringing your agenda but you are aware of what's influencing them hmm. and that's why talking about building communities when you start off with a group of people maybe you know five percent and 95 percent of the people are strangers you bring your agenda and you're not sensitive because you don't know you're not sensitive to them because you don't know and oftentimes you come off and it seems like you're really harsh and you're really like pushy right but it's really i just don't know that that's what you're going through as time progresses and you learn what people's family background is personal history is now you start the longer you live in this world you start being more sensitive because you're not trying to stomp someone out you're trying to help them right mm -hmm. you can't help them by hurting them so it should be i think that the more a person is involved in dawa the more sensitive they get which means the more very cautious about making broad strokes and very sensitive about even making statements that are fact about our dean about what we should be doing or should not be doing because you know that there's someone who may be related to someone mm -hmm. who has that and you don't mm -hmm. want to hurt them so that's where the sphere of concern something that may not concern me directly it will concern me indirectly and it has merged a lot of it has merged into the sphere of influence mm -hmm. so going back to your ratio so you feel that about 90% should be focused on a person's fear of influence uh, and then about 5 to 10% on their concern, correct? That's correct to me. And uh, the more you interact with people, though, it is important to, under, to listen carefully to, you know, um, what they're into and to even sometimes mm -hmm. investigate what they're, mm -hmm. what they're receiving but you have to do that very cautiously because we are spiritual beings that can be affected. Mm -hmm. So just because everyone's on TikTok does not mean I'm going to go, go on TikTok because you could get affected. Right. Mm -hmm. And in the realm of spirituality, you become more and more sensitive to things. Right. So something that someone may have been desensitized to, you're not supposed to be desensitized to it. You're supposed to be sensitive to it like mm -hmm. nakedness, things like that. You're supposed to become sensitive to that. You're supposed to be something that someone that avoids that. So that's why, again, it's very tricky. Mm -hmm. How do I understand their world that they're under, that they're in without being affected by it? Mm -hmm. Sometimes you just don't have to be right. Mm -hmm. I know I'm sure you had teachers. I had teachers that had no clue how we entertained ourselves. They had no clue who Jerry Seinfeld was no clue who Michael Jordan was yet. They were our religious mentors because in the, what we went to them for the Dean, we did not go to them for them to be hip. Mm -hmm. exactly. So there is a line between understanding what is going on in the world, but also being affected by it. Mm -hmm. 
how you know, are we going to navigate that line? But, and, you know, an interesting thing is with the rise of, I think, especially something like TikTok, as you mentioned, um, if you are not on these mediums and you're not observing them or you don't have people who are on on those mediums messaging you, you can be quite far back away from what people are actually watching. And so uh, I, I, an interesting contemporary example, I'm not sure if you're aware of, is now in Israel, they have this uh, new quote unquote uh, savior, this new messiah um, that, uh, uh, that, that they've been now, the rabbinical class has been uh, endorsing and so forth. Um, and there's been these massive, massive pro protests in support of this Messiah. Um, but I was completely unaware of it. Some of my teachers were completely unaware of it. It took my little cousin to randomly show me his tick, uh, his phone one day. And he was saying, Oh, by the way, have you seen this Messiah? And you will not believe it. When I showed it some, to some of my teachers, uh, some of my teachers who, uh, are arguably some of the biggest scholars on the subject of Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, uh, were completely appalled and actually bought the argument that uh, there is a chance that this could be the false messiah, so forth. And it was at that moment where I realized that although I'm not on these mediums and I understand the risks that could occur if I go on them, I will use the people who are on those mediums instead because they're telling me, Dr. Shadi, that they were aware of this weeks ago and that it was actually old news. And it, it was well, just crazy, subhanAllah. Well, you bring up, uh, that's the solution, the jama'ah, right? Uh, and in the sunnah, if you follow the sunnah, you will always be with people. And if you follow the sunnah, you will always be with kids, youth, like age, similar colleagues, basically, and elders. And that's what's going to give you a sense of history when you're with your elders. They give you a sense of history. What do the elders talk about? In my day, right? And they give you a historical perspective. Mm -hmm. And then kids, they're on something else. And that's where the holistic aspect of the Muslim life and the Muslim scholar, scholarly life or activist life, it's holistic. There is no such thing as just a scholar, mm -hmm. just an activist, just uh, a dad. It's all welded together. And that's what helps us know these things. So that's there's your answer. You don't always have to be in every like Quran says, just because a new thing opened up. Oh, we got to all run into it. No. So. There, that a certain sector of our society is in it. We interact with them, and mm -hmm. it's okay if we learn about something a day late or, or three weeks late, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you're not, we're not in the media business here that you have to be on the cutting edge of every single mm -hmm. thing. So, in the spiritual direction, it's all right to be a little bit late in some things, and certain things it's not appropriate. It's, it's a bit odd. If you had a mentor and a sheikh, right? Let's say like a real sheikh. Mm -hmm. And he was as up to date as you were. You'd be like, what is he doing with his time? Right. How's he mm -hmm. supposed to be doing all his ibadah and his reading and all that? It, it just it seems like out of place. So I think it's OK for sometimes you'd be a little bit off the the beat in terms of the, the news and things like that. But it's that mixture of ages and that healthy and, and natural interaction, which what's important will seep down to you. Mm hmm. Interesting. So it, it, it takes yeah. a collective effort. Everybody has to be coming to the table and presenting things together is what you're saying. Well, you, you're, if you're following the Sunday, you will talk. Hmm. You're going to have kids. You're going to have maybe smaller kids in the family or in the masjid. You're going to be interacting with different age groups. If you're living the way the prophet wanted us to live, you're hmm. going to be mixing. 
in mm-hmm. most cases, right? In most cases, you're yeah. going to be mixing. And you're going to and when you mix, you shouldn't mix as a lecturer. Mm-hmm. You should mix as someone who listens as much as he talks. Mm-hmm. And so when you give them room to to breathe and to talk, you learn from them, right? Mm-hmm. Things that you otherwise wouldn't have come to know. So. And it, it reminds me of that beautiful saying, which has been attributed to Imam Ali radiallahu anh, that hadithun nasa bima ya'rifun, right? Yeah. To speak to people at their level. Um, yeah. And I think, especially, you know, with everything that we're seeing going on with wokeism and so forth, the people that are really at the front line, um, you know, you can make an argument that it's a university student's but now I would say it was, it's the kids in the primary elementary school because the things that they are telling us, what they are teaching us are things that, you know, we are completely heedless of. Mm-hmm. And so as I'm speaking to these children um, and they're conveying to me what some of the things that they're being taught in school, some of the books that they're taught, it's something that, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm living in my ivory tower, right? That I'm just here with all my books and I'm just doing my reading um, but the real life stories of what's happening in your own community, I think, are things that we need to address. Well, that's why uh, that goes back to that holistic aspect. And the Jama'at and the Masjid is a really it's a community center. You're going to have your private school kids, your Islamic school kids, your public school kids, your homeschool kids. Everyone's there. Mm-hmm. Right. And by having a humble attitude towards everybody, they open up, they talk and you learn stuff. And the thing is. You can't always blame yourself these day and age. Everything is changing in 24 hours, right? And it's not even fathomable to keep up anymore. Mm-hmm. As you said, the, the battleground has in the past year has gone from the campuses to elementary school. It's like mm-hmm. we skipped high school, if you notice, right? Mm-hmm. It's like an element that's elementary school is now the battleground. And they're teaching kids these absurd books that, as we saw in, I think it was Dearborn, they objected to them. And some of the pictures were just straight up pornographic. But that's what you're going to get when you interact. And if you're going to be in the realm of giving da'wah and trying to be putting something positive forward in your community, as you had mentioned earlier, that sphere of concern and sphere of influence, you do end up having to spend probably a lot more time absorbing uh, what's going out, what's going on in the periphery Mm-hmm. because that's that's going to be your work in the future right mm-hmm. it's not that you're just you have to keep tabs that will eventually become something you have to work on in your sphere of influence mm-hmm. and you know you brought up an excellent point which is the topic of masajid and how you know historically you know every society needs a third place mm-hmm. right everybody has home they have school or they have work and then they always need that third place and historically in the muslim civilization that third place was you typically the mosque, mm-hmm. right? It was a masjid where events happen. Um, and so when you look at masjids now, masajid in Canada and in the U.S. and so forth, they have a number of different programs which they, which they try running and so forth. I wanted to ask you, based on your experiences, what you've done, um, I know I've read some of your posts about working with some of the youth there. What do you think are the programs that should be targeted and what are the mechanisms we can use to bring more youth into the masjid? Well, first thing is that the size of the masjid is very important and the size of the community is very important. So a community that's too small lacks excitement and you can't really get anything going. There's not just not enough people. Mm -hmm. But if it's also too big, 
you also can't get anything going. It's either going to become too sloppy or too bureaucratic, or they're just strange. It's just all strangers. If you ever went to, you've been to London, right? I'm sure. No, I haven't been to London. I haven't been. Okay, so London has there's a there's the um, uh, Baker Street, which is I guess London Central Mosque mm-hmm. on Baker Street. You go in there, it's seventy percent at any given time, eighty percent strangers. That's a ratio that's no good, right? Mm-hmm. So you go in there, you walk in, you leave, no one you may have not seen anybody you know, right? Mm-hmm. But the ratio that's let's say fifty to seventy five percent, I know everyone there. And then there's a ratio of 50 to 25% of people who are new. That's a perfect ratio. Mm, okay. And that's just the message that is a little not tucked so deep into the suburb and not in uh, too small of an urban area either because urban areas can't have big messages. So that's the first thing is the size of the message is very important. You got to get that right size. Mm-hmm. Secondly, and that right size is you always meet someone new, yet you always know everyone there. At the same time, that's the vibe. The second thing is that if you want to talk about youth, you need to talk about the younger youth and the older youth. The younger youth, they definitely need a gym. To me, if I was to open up something again, mm-hmm. the first thing I would do is the gym. Mm-hmm. Reason being is we can pray in gym in the gym. Mm-hmm. We can't play basketball in the masala, right? So you have to have something where you're you're up and coming. Your low, your weakest link, your youngest link is what you want to cater to. First and foremost, mm-hmm. all of us, those who are who are already bought into the to the idea of going to the masjid, we, it doesn't make a difference what the space looks like. We could fix it up, right? Mm-hmm. So that was the first thing, and that's one of the advantages. The masjid that have that, they have an advantage. They're they they always have something that their youth can do. Mm-hmm. Secondly, you need in order to 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 galvanize and build a community. There, a friend of mine. He's the executive director of our mosque. He did like his own personal study. And he found that there's two types of masjid. There's one masjid that's a menhaj masjid. A mm-hmm. menhaj masjid means the masjid is built upon an idea and, a, and a, an understanding of Islam. And then you have, then you have the generic masjid that they didn't want to touch aqidah. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to touch anything, right? Those masjid initially get, get more people. Because everyone's welcome. But because they won't take a stand on anything, all the serious people leave. Hmm. And all they end up with was very basic social programs and very basic Sunday schools. Mm -hmm. And they actually just, in order to be, quote unquote, relevant to do something, they end up just being political or whatever. But the life of the masjid is, is absent. Now, mm-hmm. the Menhaji method, let's say in North Jersey, we had like Muslim Brotherhood mosques established upon that from years ago. Or mm-hmm. you have Salafi mosques, right? Or you have like Hanafi Diobandi mosques. It's established upon that. Mm-hmm. Those masajid, they'll have a smaller group because people say, no, no, I don't go to that mosque. It's like that. But that group, though, can build upwards. They can build towards a goal. Mm-hmm. You can go in from kindergarten and keep going all the way until you're an adult. Because they will climb you up on a ladder. Hmm. And we ended up becoming more believers in that. And we merged it in a sense that it's a minhaji masjid. That we have a minhaj, we have beliefs. But the social programming is really open for everybody. Mm-hmm. Like it, doesn't, it doesn't have to spill into our social programming. And that's what I think is 
really important too because you you can't the gym you can't lose your youth and your kids but the min hedge you also can't lose your best and your brightest mm -hmm. best and brightest you want you to take a position so i can know what am i going to do here i'm either going to come or i'm not right you can't insult the, the intellects of people and say well yes both opinions no one way or the other and that person could choose to come mm -hmm. or not come but at least you will at least have 50 percent of those breasts and the brightest will buy in right mm -hmm. rather than trying to get 100 percent and then you get zero so those are the two things you got to go to your best and your brightest with an idea and you be able better be able to convince them of it and what's the ladder going up this path mm -hmm. and then your your youth and your kids mm-hmm so, so on the topic of youth, I think, uh, you know, I, I've, I've been preaching to people for a while now that the gym is, is the best investment that one can make because not, as you mentioned, not only is it a prayer hall, but you can, there's no, arguably no better way to attract youth to a mosque than through sports, right? And through the sports, you can use it, you can use them to come to, uh, to the masajid. Um, my question though, about, about the top, the, your, your, your friend's case study about the men hedge. Um, about speaking on these matters is that um, it needs, to, I would argue that it would need to be done in a way in which the positions are established, but at the same time, we avoid sectarianism because there are many messages which kind of, it's either our way or the highway and they kind of create this environment then that if you're not following exactly what we believe, then you, people feel uncomfortable coming. So what, what, what would you respond to that? Okay, so... Firstly, if people draw their lines incorrectly, they will also fail. If you drew it too tightly, you will also slowly die off. Hmm. So let the history play itself out and you'll see. But if you draw no lines, you also die. So where are you drawing the lines? That's the question you're asking, right? Okay. And that's yeah. where uh, the broad scope of Ahl-Sunnah and the four schools that's where you got to go, right? That's the broad scope. Uh, and that's something that the concept of the four methods is something that's, you know, well-known and established. And there are qat'i things and there are dhanni things. There are explicit things. There's no discussion about them. Then there are uh, speculative things that have ijma' upon them. There's no mm -hmm. discussion on that either. Then there are speculative things that do not have a upon them. And that's where the four methods rise up. So it's, it would seem to be that the best case would be that your lines be upon the four schools. Mm -hmm. the, 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 the dominant opinions in those four schools in the Aqidah positions that they took and the Fiqhi positions that they took. And it would seem to be that that's the right path. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. so you're saying those are those are where you draw your lines. That's where, like, the historical four methods, not like my clique of Shafi'is mm -hmm. or Madikirs or Hanafis. No, historically, and okay. these methods have their major books, such that if you bring something in here, it's got to be in accord with one of them, mm -hmm. right? They're major books, not the little uh, fatwa here or there. The major rulings on these matters. Mm -hmm. That way, your masjid and your community is also linked historically you link back so mm -hmm. you can say hey, we're not the first people to do this this has been done for 700 years 
it's since the issue has come up, right? This mm-hmm. has been the, the statement on it, right? Mm-hmm. So that you don't eat, you're not even, um, um, what's the word? You, you're not even like a maverick or you're not even starting something new. You have hundreds of years of precedent, mm-hmm. right? You don't have to be a pioneer. Exactly. Right. And matters of fatwa, new matters that come that don't have hundreds of years had not been discussed yet. Brand new matters. You could just leave them. You don't have to take a stand on them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And, and that way you avoid, you, you avoid the, the contemporary topics. Cause I think, uh, well, well j- just to sh- shift gears a little bit, you know, we have a lot of masajid and I want to ask whether you think this is right or wrong, but we have a lot of masajid that are just dominated by one ethnicity. And so it's almost kind of seen as, oh, this is the Somali masjid or this is the Pakistani yeah. masjid. Uh, do you think there's anything necessarily wrong with that? When an immigrant population comes and makes a masjid, it makes sense that they're going to attract the people with like circumstances mm-hmm. and like culture. So I personally don't have a problem with that. However, it becomes a problem with the second generation now because they don't have the similar views so the children of somalis Mm -hmm. in your example somali americans do not care about hanging out only with somali americans they'll hang out with anybody right yeah arab american will hang out with anybody actually once you hit that second generation pretty much you start hitting political and ideological lines that's what they care about Mm -hmm. so if you you go uh, what's that what do you mean by that that I, if, if I look at how my parents came over, they definitely felt comfortable with Egyptians, right? Yeah. Than anybody else or Arabs in general, maybe extend Egyptian, Palestinian, maybe, right? Jordanians, they'll mm-hmm. feel comfortable with that. But the second generation, the issue to me is not if you're Egyptian, it's your views. Hmm. Interesting. Like, what do you believe about this? Because we're the generation that had to actually, like we had a menu of Islam and not Islam. Mm-hmm. The older generation, they didn't. They're born Muslim. They're not. The idea of ever having a choice was not there. The choice was, do we practice it or not? Mm-hmm. But for the second generation, it is a choice. It's like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this by design and by intent and by will. So therefore, I'm going to study. That studying leads you to opinions. Mm-hmm. And you end up going by the route of choosing people of like-mindedness rather than like ethnicity. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're saying by, by by the second and third generations, the Muslim community has assimilated to the point where um, the ethnicity is no longer the the, the, the benchmark for for um, for determining you know proximity and closeness to other people, but rather uh, ideological and political reasons uh, triumph and supersede that. That's my observation in general. Yeah. Okay, and it's it's yeah. something I've seen as well. Like, um, have you ever seen a Pakistani American community? Yeah. It's rare, right? It's like you see the 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 immigrants will be together, but their children, they they're friends with everybody, right? And they couldn't care if you're Egyptian American, Algerian American, it's your ideas that they care most about. Right? Well, I I've seen it in, in a community but uh that are second generation but they're living in the same neighborhood as their parents. So the parents all live near the uh, masjid. And so their children now also live near it. And so it's just, it's not necessarily a Pakistani masjid. It's just a masjid filled with Pakistanis. That must be a very small community then. 
where it's a very local community. It's like the only masjid in town, right? But once you not necessarily, a, huh, once you get a bigger uh, community mm -hmm. that mixes, that's more cosmopolitan. Yeah. Yeah. You will see the lines will go based upon ideology, not ethnicity, in Definitely. the second generation. Definitely, and I think if anybody's been to the Bay um, and they've been to the uh, MCA, which mm -hmm. is, I, I believe, the largest mosque there, it's it's completely diverse. Yeah, completely. Right? This, in England, all my friends in England, they're all their parents would only hang out with their culture and their ethnicity. Mm -hmm. Yet all of our, us we're all different, and we're bound by the same belief. That's mm -hmm. what binds us. And the opposing okay. side, right? Yeah. We're all as equally as diverse as us. Mm -hmm. Like all the different ideological groups are all diverse. Exactly. And, and I think with wokeism now too, you know, they've, they've, it seems, you know, I might be wrong, but it seems they've kind of focused now just on whoever agrees with us rather than, I mean, but there's an argument that they're still so focused on skin color. Um, and these binaries between this this race versus this race and so forth, but I, I, I definitely see your point in that with the with the with the with the second generation specifically, because I see it in my own life that my friends are very diverse, and so um, I think then when it comes to building masajids, then you can kind of, uh, and if you're building your own, you can kind of pick and choose what you want. Yeah, I I, I remember the Egyptian crowd being diverse ideologically. Hmm. Now. <laughs> my crowd is only diverse ethnically, right? Like my, like our inner circle and our group of friends, we're diverse ethnically. That's it. Not ideologically. Ideologically, we're pretty much on the same page. Mm -hmm. Which is how it should be. Yeah, because Islam is a religion of, it's an idea-based religion. Like the United States is an idea-based country, whereas mm -hmm. France, for example, is an ethnically-based country. All yeah. of Europe is ethnically-based. Yeah. America mm -hmm. is one of the first idea-based countries in the world. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, the religion of Islam did not come to bring a country at all. It just, it came to be the religion of different civilizations. But uh, overall, it did blur many of the ethnic lines by mm -hmm. you know, the beliefs about our origin and you no know, white is better than black, Arab is not better than non-Arab, but neither forcing a diversity, mm -hmm. like the way it is now, it's like forced. It's forced diversity. It's fake. Every cult, commercial I have to see is an interracial marriage. And in real life, you may see one a month, right? But mm -hmm. on TV, you see one every 10 minutes. It's forced and fake. So Islam did not come to, to force uh, uh, ethnicities together, nor to separate them. But it did remove a line, mm -hmm. right? It did remove a line. So I think that's like a perfect balance between things. Mm -hmm. And it seems that Islam came and eliminated the aspect that led to arrogance or inequality and let people, you know, like, like, like it took into account all of, you know, custom mm -hmm. and all that, right. And didn't say you have to destroy, you have to change your way of life. You just have to change your beliefs that are yeah. not in conformity. And so, so you see which way we went, we went the way of where there was this arrogance of a racial superiority of whites over non-whites. Mm -hmm. But now we're going to like this forced diversity, which is putting people out of their comfort zones, out of their, uh, they're out of whack. They don't know what to say anymore. It's mm -hmm. forced. But Islam came and it neither said you have to, nor you don't have to, right? But it did say for sure, you're not better than anybody else. Mm 
Mm-hmm. You're all going back to Adam, mm-hmm. right? And you're all going back to the earth. You derive, you all derive from Adam and Eve, and you're all deri- going back to the earth. So the motivation to make a strict line between ethnicities and cultures is no longer there. Mm-hmm. That's not your identity marker anymore. Subhanallah. So the- it, that, to me, allowed for a natural mixing of people. And Egypt is the most central of the middle of the Arab countries. There is no Egyptian ethnicity anymore. It's so mixed between Albanians, Circassians, Moroccans, mm-hmm. Syrians, Hejaz, um, from Aswan. Aswan is, is like close to Sudan. All mm-hmm. of these are all mixed up in Egypt, for example. Just using, not because I'm Egyptian, but as an example. Mm-hmm. right? A natural diversity developed and a natural mixing of cultures. Morocco, mm-hmm. they're very mixed from uh, the very light, Northerners of the uh, uh, and the and the Atlas Mountains, all the way to the Sub-Saharans, and they're very willingly to mix, more willingly than probably any other culture is the Moroccans, mm-hmm. more willing to mix. So that's what Islam brought. It erased the lines of arrogance and identity and superiority without forcing it, uh, uh, you know, forcing it upon the people. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I think that's one of the well, that's one of the beautiful things, you know, like. Uh, uh, you know, we, we were, uh, I mean, I met you in Umrah and, you know, the main thing I took away from Umrah, uh, one of the main things, subhanAllah, was I, I was just looking around and I was saying like, no ethnicity holds a monopoly on Islam. Because That's I'm so here, right? Yep. The person beside me is from East Asia. The person beside me is from West Africa. The person in front of me is Albanian. The person behind me is a wheeler. And I'm like, because especially because, you know, coming from a, a Desi background, usually the Desis tend to dominate a lot of things, right? They dominate a lot of things, especially in the West. But when I was there, I was shocked. And I realized that that what I was seeing there was a representation of the Muslim world when I saw that the Indonesians were in large numbers because they're the country with the most number of Muslims. Mm-hmm. And so it was at that moment where I realized, I said, this is Islam. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why taking uh, young people there there, it's it becomes a proof to them in so many ways, not just their spiritual experience, but also they're seeing the whole world is there, and that there is no group, atheists, Catholics, Hindus, that has anywhere near anything similar to what they're going to see of the entire world coming to this one place. Mm-hmm. So at least it makes you think. Well, I don't think the whole world's going to be totally wrong about this, mm-hmm. because if there was a bias somewhere the Kazakhs would not have accepted it, right? Some mm-hmm. smart person in Kazakhstan would have rejected it, but the Kazakhs are there, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, I don't know if you saw them, but you know them because they, they, they have their jackets on. They That's have their what I'm saying. On. Yeah. <laughs> it's on the back of their vests, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, they didn't even know this country existed. Mm-hmm. So if there was a serious bias, if it was a human invention, it would have, been, have limitations, right? Mm-hmm. People wouldn't have absorbed it from... Indonesia, Malaysia, Africa, countries have nothing to do with each other. Yet we find that the Prophet is accepted by all these people. The Quran mm-hmm. settles with everybody. They have no, there's no issue coming to Mecca. No one's saying, well, why Mecca? Why not somewhere else? Mm-hmm. Right? It's one of the reasons why Allah made it a completely barren land. Like there is absolutely nothing to benefit from it from a worldly perspective. There's no group of people who's going to benefit from this. Mm-hmm. Right? So, that's one of the wisdoms of taking people to Umrah for the first mm-hmm. time. And it, it was beautiful because uh, I, I saw a couple of tour guides who were with the group, which was solely youth. 
-hmm. like it was all around high school uh, high school age students and as he was explaining you could see you know tears on their face especially because they were in the rawda um and they were just in amazement and i just recently had a brother tell me that you know one of the things masajids should be doing is they should be taking just youth out for umrah and just showing them all of these sites because if they could have a profound spiritual experience at that age in that place, that that's something that they would never forget for the rest of their life. And not only that they won't forget it is that later on in college, when they come across all these ideas and mm-hmm. ideologies, which we call shubuhat, shubuhat, false ideologies, they only latch on to darknesses. They cannot latch on to light. There was a story that, that some scholars said that when we were there, there was a, a, a alim who was extremely strict, especially in matters of aqidah. But he was also a rabbani. Rabbani means he understands human nature. He can he raises up, he 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 nurtures people spiritually too. So they brought him this guy. They said one of our guy from the tribe has he's apostated. He's like a Darwinist. He doesn't believe in anything, and we need you to set him straight. We tried talking to him. We can't. You need you to set them straight. So they had their Thursday night gathering and they did some dhikr and then they recited Quran and then they had qasidas and it went on for about two hours. And they all kept waiting. When is he going to speak to him? Set him straight. So they saw the shaykh kept glancing at the young men. He had just come back from a French college. Mm-hmm. And then the shaykh ended the gathering and got up and everyone left. And they said, Sheikh, you never talked to him. We needed you to set him straight. So he said, Hasal al Maqsud, whatever you came for, it happened. Mm-hmm. So some while later, they talked to the guy. They said, No, no, I was in a ghafla and my heart was heedless and, and I just reject all that stuff. So the darkness is what's needed mm-hmm. for those ideas to latch onto. Once mm-hmm. there's light inside the heart, those ideas cannot penetrate. They're just like, they're just hitting walls. It's hitting walls of light. So it's, it's, it's for high schoolers to get that nur that's, that's going to come into their heart from Mecca and Medina. Nowhere else can bring it like these two cities. Mm-hmm. The presence in these two cities. And that's going to help them literally just block off these things. And if they fall, they're going to fall in the common temptations of, of young men and young women. Mm-hmm. And knowing, knowing it's wrong. But the mm-hmm. shubuhats, the ideas... The crazy ideas that are, are circulating and doubts will be blocked off. Mm-hmm. And, and I think especially just being there is an affirmation for them that, you know, we are Muslim. And I think one of the beautiful things, about, you know, you talked about light is that when 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 a person is engulfed in light, when they're enlightened, um, what that does is it can strengthen the fitrah. And I think all of these ideological problems that you're seeing, most of them can simply be countered by a return to one's fitrah, right? You know, you you mentioned this, the, you know, in Michigan, the pornography, um, LGBTQ, many of these, many of wokeism can really just, and I think that's why it really hasn't penetrated that deep into the community is because many people, even people who aren't practicing can just look at this and say like, this is completely antithetical to what a human being should be doing. And, and and the other thing is that the fitra is to have to, to be social, right? It's part of our fitra to be social. Mm-hmm. If you look at any human invention, we always use it to become social. 
right? So mm -hmm. as soon as we could use screens and internet, we made social media so that we could interact. Hmm. When youth and adults even go out on these trips and they, they, they all have their amount of benefit that they take, even if one person is very weak, he's lifted up by the group. Hmm. And if my fitra is all messed up, it's the group. Like, Because what, what is it that tells us the boundaries of fitra? Like, what is it that sets for us you know, what is normal, what is acceptable. For mm -hmm. us, it's the jama'ah. Mm -hmm. And fitra is uphold, up, up, uh, bolstered up by a jama'ah. So if I have 12 friends, and I'm getting a bit weird on, for some reason, in my private life, I'm going down some path. My 11 friends are going to, it won't pass. Mm -hmm. That's the power of jama'ah. Mm -hmm. right? You talked earlier about the masjid and stuff. Jama'ah is just that important because it's one of the things that it does. It establishes a orf and it establishes a, uh, it, it reinforces the fitra. And having a diverse, diversity in interests. So you having someone who is more into nature than someone else, that person is going to be, he's going to bring that to the table. Mm -hmm. A person who's more into, like the example you were giving, being online, he's going to bring in news from that world. Mm-hmm. So that's a diversity that matters, diversity of interests, right? Mm -hmm. Diversity of backgrounds. Um, and that's what helps keep that fitra up. Because if, if, if a person starts going off, their friend group will not accept it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it, it reminds me of the beautiful hadith where the Prophet wasallam said yeah. that, uh, that the believer mirrors the believer. And I think what that indicates is that a person's friend circle really is an indication you know you can just really look at the person's friends and get an idea of who the person is and so forth and at the universe you know as somebody who spent a lot of time at university and is still in that atmosphere is that the moment you take somebody away from a bad friend circle into a good friend circle within weeks you see a complete change yeah i i totally agree with that uh and and that's where i think university is really like an unhealthy environment you're just taking all these people who have the same limitation on life experience and throwing them all together, right? Mm -hmm. They all have a, a warped perspective. Warped, not it's not their fault. Mm -hmm. When you're 20 years old, you can only know life uh, as a youth. Mm -hmm. You can't have a 60-year-old perspective, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not like it's their fault, but the idea of throwing them all together and that's all you're with eight hours a day, right? weeks at week after week you also will get a warped perspective mm -hmm. so something that is a big deal there could be things that are big deals to 20 year olds that the 60 year olds know this is nothing it's really mm -hmm. nothing right in the grand scheme of things nothing but you you cannot tell a 20 year old that it's nothing mm -hmm. so you can it, things get bigger in your head than they truly are supposed to be right and that's not putting down youth i actually I believe that all the age groups are important at all times. Elders also need youth and kids to, to, to feel that there is a reason to keep living, right? And, mm. and how many grandparents are made, their antidepressant is their grandkids. They're antidepressant. So Allah has created every age group with something very, very special in it. And when they, they come together and mix up, that's where you have the most grounded human being. Because he's going to understand the perspectives. Mm -hmm. 
because you, you know at, at, at university one of the interesting things i say is that you have 18 year olds taking these 20 21 year olds as their sheikhs basically yeah. meaning they're the ones who are their mentors the ones yeah. who are giving them these life advice and it's kind of uh and i i was in that position but it's kind of the blind leading the blind and so forth and so one of the excellent things that that we that we were able to do here in vancouver alhamdulillah is that we were able to invest heavily into the msa and begin to realize that the place where all the academic rigor where the tasawwuf where many of these things were happening was actually at the university and so now what people are doing is they're going to the masajid but they're realizing the hub of islam in the community is at the university right that's and terrible so Right. It, it, yeah. it is terrible. It is terrible. The fact yeah. that the masjid, I mean, this is what, what you mentioned when a masajid can get so big that the bureaucracy just takes over and all the yeah. policy occurs. Yeah. Right. And so the option then is to just find an alternative. And if they already have a university atmosphere, then let's just bring the scholars here and turn this into the hub. Yeah. But what about like the family vibe and the little kids vibe? Well, they'll do these. They'll do these interactive events, these tubing, snowboarding, family get-togethers. So even families will occasionally come. Like like all of the organizations kind of see that this is like the platform, the environment we want to do our things. And so it well, becomes the hub. The, uh, the thing is that there's, there's, there's got to always be people have to do – they have to make it happen. And you guys made it happen in your own way with your own challenges, right? Mm -hmm. And that's really what human the human spirit will always make find a way. And if you guys had a challenge with your local mosque, you know, then you found another way to do it. That's mm -hmm. why it's really important for no masjid to, to domineer and to have a monopoly. You don't have a right. Anyone can open a masjid at any time. Their intent is their intent. If mm -hmm. their intent is to split your ranks, then they'll fail. And we shouldn't support it. But if their intent is just, hey, I want to do something that you're not providing. Mm -hmm. We should be open to that, right? And there's, there shouldn't ever be a feeling that the community has to have one masjid. Why is that? That's actually not the sunnah at all. Mm -hmm. Maybe one for Juma, right? Maybe one for the big events, but not just one masjid. Mm-hmm. It's not so, a healthy way to do things. No one controls anything here. Mm -hmm. So I, I have a question I want to ask you. Are you good on time right now? We got about, what, 10 minutes left to Salat al-Maghrib. Okay. Um, the next question I wanted to ask you was the topic of uh, finances. Um, I, think, I think there's so much our communities could be doing in terms of how we finance our projects. Um, yeah. And there are many different creative ways I've seen people um finance their mosque so for instance mm -hmm. we have this mosque nearby um which is uh, a bunch of wealthy muslims from what i know a bunch of muslim wealthy muslims got together and they bought this large property in a very expensive area and what they did is half of that property uh, property they just rented it out as uh stores and grocery stores and with that revenue that they've generated they've just used it to fundraise for the mosque to a point where they don't even really accept donations for the masjid. And this is like, this is North Vancouver. Like this yeah. is like one of the most expensive places in the world. Mm -hmm. And they, they're running a masjid based on that model. So I was just wondering with you, with the, with your masjid, with, with what you know about what are some alternative financial models for our masjids? 
the uh the the more services that you offer the better and that group sounds like a bunch of brilliant guys i would like to meet those those guys right um but if you're if you're not in that situation and you you have to rely on the community the more service you offer and the more you pull out of them personally the more you can inspire them the more you're going to get them to give back mm -hmm. uh through through fundraising essentially they're going to have to give it from their own free will or as a wedding halls a rentals all those things inside the uh within inside the the masjid if you don't have anything on the outside then you try to use whatever you can to rent it out on the inside mm -hmm. so these are in the end of the day a nonprofit organization is a charity space it's going to succeed if the rich want it to succeed that's the truth mm -hmm. of the matter they're going they, you need that money up front or you need it regularly and so we shouldn't shy away from that like we shouldn't be treat the rich like the woke do and i'm not saying you did i'm saying in general people like oh the rich you need the rich allah created the rich imam al-haddad said you need four categories of people one of them is the rich in order to uphold the community, you need four categories. You need the scholar, the worshipers, the ascetics, the, the very devout ascetics who leave off this world. You need the managers. And to fuel all that, you need the rich. Now, the mm -hmm. managers, believe it or not, the managers are best people who have no, do not have the interest in seeking knowledge. Right? Mm -hmm. they, they, they seek enough knowledge, they respect the knowledge, but they're managers, they're administrators. And we see these people and sometimes you look down upon them, right? Mm -hmm. But these are the people who get the job done in terms of managing the place. And you need the rich, the financiers. Mm -hmm. Then you need to be smart with your financing and, and so that you can operate on income rather than fundraising, mm -hmm. right? But I don't think we should shy away from the concept and idea that every community does need its financier. Without a doubt. Yeah. And, and, you know, uh, you know, I once said I once said at a, at a khutbah in uh, in, in Berkeley, the mm -hmm. uh, reason I mentioned is because Berkeley is arguably the most woke school and, you know, in, in all of maybe North America. I mean, it's it is for sure. Woke, yeah, it's the right? leader. Yeah, it, it's, it's the leader. So uh, I said that, you know, there's all this talk about the one percent and the one percent hoarding uh, the world's wealth. Um, and they're the reason behind people's problems. And then I said, but everybody in this room is really part of that 1%, if not higher mm -hmm. with all the blessings, being able to study at a prestigious university, yep. being able to pay what, you know, expensive rent. The fact most of all, in part, in, in spite of all of your blessings, the fact that you're Muslim automatically puts you in the top. Yeah. And so not only are we the 1%, but we're probably the 0.1% if we really think about it. Mm -hmm. And so, it's, I think that's one thing we fail to realize. I mean, wokeism really fails to realize is this binary. But I'll tell you something very interesting, Dr. Shadi. I've never, I don't know if you've heard of a story like this before, but we have a local masajid here, which is decently big. It has decently sized, but it's nothing special. But because we bought the property before uh, the area turned into this massive downtown facility, we are now receiving offers to buy our masajid for, um, hundred to two hundred million dollars that's because, insane because because now, 
because now they're what they, because they want to take that facility and they want to build skyscrapers on top of it. Oh, you got to time it right. And so they're yeah. and, and then so so now there's some of them are saying, OK, we'll pay you 40 million dollars and we'll just build on top of you. And then problems arise. OK, you're going to have people drinking alcohol, you're going to have non-Muslims on top of the masajid and so forth. Or maybe we're thinking maybe we'll just buy out the entire property and just have that every all Muslims in that apartment. So the, the reason I mentioned that and I, I'd love to hear your commentary on it is that there's so many different ways you can really finance a masajid. And well, you, your situation, you make that sale, but with a condition that every year you also have to give us a certain amount. Take that, leave your masjid and go build another masjid elsewhere. Right. Why are you stuck with one building, two buildings? But he, this is where the, the, the crucial problem arises, which is the, yeah. what are you going to do with the money? Especially when you have a bureaucracy. That's the thing. Oh, right? forget about it. They're going right? to screw it up. Right? If it's a bureaucracy, so they're going to screw it up. If it's like four guys with a strong leader and three really smart guys around him and maybe a handful of other guys giving it good advice, then you're good to go. But if you have a committee, mm -hmm. throw flush it down the toilet. Mm -hmm. committees elected committees come and go committees have they have less uh, they have less strength mm -hmm. less history less skin in the game and they are just almost i never seen i don't see a lot of good things come out of them mm -hmm. to be honest with you especially and, elected committees and have you seen that same problem within the massaged bureaucracy with youth or is it solely with the older generation what do you mean with youth like like you know what the, the problems with bureaucracy have you ever yeah. seen like youth masajid community like like youth running the masajid people um and and them having those same bureaucratic problems or is it solely with the elder generations no even if they're young hmm. even if they're all a bunch of young guys the the good thing the the correlation is that usually if a masjid board is a bunch of young people it tends to be their population is also small Right. Okay. Then it's fine. They're good. But when uh, and and it tends to be that once they grow their community, their population is bigger. Also, their elders are older, right? Mm. And that's where it becomes they they usually hit a standstill. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. that's my perspective on or my observation. Okay. They yeah, get I stuff done. They get stuff done, but there's not the same potential singular vision anymore. Right. And singular group of leaders that we've trusted over the years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just 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 the last thing that I'll mention is that one of the the other ways to I've seen people finance Masajid is by uh, the, the the hall that you mentioned. They also turn that into a wedding hall. And so they'll every week they'll have somebody book that out. And with that money, they can cover the rent of the facility. It, yes. If I, if I had to do it all over again. Not like I did it the first time, but if I would ever have a chance, mm -hmm. I would rent out a place that can be used as, as you said, like a wedding, wedding hall or a gym. And then we could just roll out the rugs and pray on it. Yeah. And then you keep renting that out, but build it for whatever makes money. Then move and still retain that. So use the, invest in, the investment location, use it as a makeshift mosque and a rental income. And then once the rental income is strong and we have enough money, we can build our mosque somewhere else and totally rely upon the rent. 
I do it the other way around. Rather than let's build a masjid and then let's think of how we're going to get rental income. Let's get the rental income first, make use of that space, and then uh, build the masjid. Interesting. And yeah. just so you know, the reason why I'm asking all these questions is I'm in the process right now. We're building a really massive masjid right now, which is in the construction phase. And we're trying to uh, focus on the architecture and the development and so forth. So much of what you're saying is going to be ap applied into the building uh, of our local masjid and so forth. Um, with that, uh, if there's any last words, Dr. Shah, do you have, um, uh, please, by all means, go ahead. Well, I'm sure me and uh, the guys here look forward to visiting this multi-million dollar uh, Vancouver Islamic Center. <laughs> what are you going to call it, Vic? Oh. What is you it know, called? How do I look uh, it up? Uh, well, right now, right now, it's just a small masjid, and there, there hasn't been an agreement yet oh, okay. um, for fear of bureaucracy. But if an agreement does reach, um, we will have definitely... your bylaws set. Uh, I think they've dealt with it. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, they, they, they've dealt with it. But if it is, by all means, we will we, we would love to host you guys in Vancouver. Um, Definitely. Maybe for another project and so forth. But thank you so much, Dr. Shadi. Uh, inshallah, we will be in the, have you on again sometime I mean, soon. I mean, um, it's my pleasure. Uh, I, I would highly recommend people check out Safina Society and their wonderful podcasts, their wonderful courses as well. Um, there's a number of people I've recommended. I think some are actually students at Safina Society. Um so, uh, and they have nothing but positive things to say, alhamdulillah. So thank you so much, Dr. Shadi. Hey, you're welcome. It's my pleasure. We will see everybody, inshallah, next time. With that, hey. take care. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.